Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites, that is, that they might be safe. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Good morning, church. Can you guys hear me okay? This is okay? All right. So today I would like to start by uh, saying that God is awesome. God is awesome. Amen. There you go. I heard it. That's great. God is awesome. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a familiar verse, but don't let the familiarity ruin the message that's contained therein. Many people say that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is contained in this one verse. I agree with that, because the gospel at its very core, at its heart, is the love of God for the world. God loves everyone, not just a certain nation or a certain race or a certain people. He loves everyone. He loves the whole world. So much so that he gave Jesus to die for the cross for our sins. And uh, one of the things that make God so amazing, owing to his love for the world, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God wants all people to be saved. He has this love in his heart for people, and he has this desire to save everyone. Now let me ask you this question. What do you think... God has planned or put in place for him to be able to tell people about this message, about this truth, that he loves them, that he wants them to be saved. He doesn't want them to perish. He, wants, he, he, he loves them enough to send his son to die for the cross, to, on the cross for them. What's his plan? Yeah. Us. We are a major player in this, in, this, in this mission that God has for people to be saved. That's why we've been, this is what we've been, we have been doing for, in 2020. We have been talking about our mission and our message to the world. And in our current uh, sermon series called Modeling the Message, we're saying that our mission and our message is not just something that we tell people about. It's something that we show them. It's something that we model to the people around us through our actions, through our example. And this morning, for the next lesson in our Modeling the Message series, I would like us to think about the heart that God has for the people who are lost. The, the, the desire that God has to save everyone and not anyone perish. I want us to think about that today. And so... The lesson that I have prepared this morning is called Love for the Lost. Because I want us to really rekindle, reignite, and reexamine our attitude 
towards those who are not in Christ yet. Uh, and we're going to do that this morning through the example of Jonah, through the story of Jonah. How many of you guys have heard of the story of Jonah? So I see hands raised. We've heard of Jonah. If you have not heard of the story of Jonah, it's okay. You're going to hear about it today here. Jonah is in the Old Testament. There's four chapters in there. It's short. It's a really short book, even for myself. I don't read much. I don't read good. I always tell Miles that. But the book of Jonah, you can read it in a few minutes. It's, it's amazing. And what comes to mind when you think about the story of Jonah? The first thing that comes to mind. Yes, Levi's like, big fish. Big fish. That's right. Jonah, the big fish, right? We, we think about the big fish. Um, it's amazing how it's, it's been placed in Scripture that we can think about the big fish and we think about Jonah. But this morning, what I would like us to do is to add to that. I want us to think, when we think about Jonah, we think about the big fish. I want us to think about a real lesson for us to really think about our love for the lost. Because that's what the story is about, our love for the lost. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Jonah, and then we're going to apply it in our lives today. Actually, we're going to, I'm going to talk about two things that we can learn from Jonah in order to uh, think about our love for the lost. So let's, let's, uh, let's uh, start. It starts in Jonah chapter 1, obviously, but in verse 2, this is when we see God tell Jonah his mission, kind of like the mission that he gave us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, right? So God tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Here in this verse, God tells Jonah his two-pronged mission. First, he is to go, and next, he is to preach. Why? Because the Ninevites have been bad, their wickedness has come up before men, uh, before, before God. But in a way of saying, you know, their bad, their bad behavior has come to a head and it has to stop. Okay? So let's look at that on a map because I want, I want us to really visualize this. What is Jonah, uh, what, what does he have to do? What does this mission entail? So I got this map from Google Maps. Okay? So it's the current map of the world. You can see Iraq, Syria, and Turkey there. But back then, when Jonah's time, these were not the names of the countries yet. But Israel is there. If you can see at the south there, that's Israel. That is where Jonah lived. That's his home. So God is telling, God told Jonah, leave your house, go to Nineveh, okay, and preach there. Where's Nineveh? Do you guys, can, do you guys remember where Nineveh is? I'm looking at Amir. Yeah, Amir's like, yeah, it's in Iraq. It's in modern-day Iraq. It is. It's in the north of Iraq by the Tigris River there. And it's currently right now, it's in the ruins of Nineveh are in the city of Mosul. Is that right, Amir? It's in the city of Mosul, which is a big city in Iraq. Right there. So as the crow flies from Israel to Nineveh, that's 550 miles. Back then, there's no trains, there's no buses. He had to, like, be on a donkey or a horse, and he had to make his way there. That's the job. Okay. Now, what does Jonah do after hearing his mission from God? He doesn't do it. He says, nah, nah. 
But he says it in a really powerful way. He literally went out of his way to say no to God. Okay, here's what he did. In verse 3 of chapter 1. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, that's a port city in Israel, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he yelled, no, to God by doing this. Let's go back to the map. So that's Israel right there. And instead of going northeast, 550 miles, he instead went to the port city of Joppa and hopped on a boat heading for Tarshish. Where's that place? It's not on the map. Now it's on the map. It's right there. Right where modern-day Spain is, where Gibraltar is. Instead of going northeast 550 miles, he said, you know what? I'm going to go this way, the opposite way, 2,500 miles. See, God gave us our mission as well. But I guess it's just, I would just like to say, but sometimes we go out of our way to say no to the mission that God has given us. Just like Jonah did. Okay? Why would Jonah do that? Well, the answer lies, we're going to find that out later on. Because in the book of Jonah, in chapter 4, he tells us exactly why he did this, right? The answer lies uh, of, um, in, the, in the identity of the people of Nineveh. So Nineveh uh, was the capital city of Assyria, the, the Assyrian Empire. The Bible talks about these empires, right, in time. So the first empire that the Bible talks about, I believe, is the Egyptian empire. And then now the superpower of the world at the time was Assyria. It's, you know, they were well known for their military might, for their military strategy, for their, uh, for their conquering power, for their professionally trained soldiers, for their iron tools and and weapons, but more importantly, they were known for their brutality, for their violence, and for the terror that they have inflicted to the peoples around them. People then knew that if you went against the king of Assyria, you would die a very horrible death. We know this because the kings of Assyria made it a thing to document their achievements and their conquests. Uh, currently, like in, in Mosul, for example, there's, uh, there, there's, uh, there's the ruins there and there's also a, a museum there that, that has them. In the British Museum, you go there and you see like walls of, uh, of uh, pictures that document what the kings, the Assyrian kings did back then. And the words and the pictures that they would use would include devastation, and I'm going to say this, I'm sorry, but flaying, mutilation, and things involving spikes. They would use that. So Jonah knew about this. And Jonah uh, equated their reputation to who they are as people. So long story short, in his mind, he had made a judgment call. He had judged them for what they have done, saying, you are not, as a people, worthy to be saved. 
You, you deserve to all perish and you deserve to die because you did this to me and my people and to the people around you. That's what he had done. Okay? That's why he's like, okay, in a very strong kind of way, I'm saying no to you, God, because this mission is not good. Okay? So what does God do next? Remember in our story, he's on a boat heading to Tarshish. What does God do next? God allows for a storm to brew over where he was on the, on the sea. Okay, so there's this big storm. And everybody on the boat was trying to figure out who caused this storm to happen. Who transgressed their God and made this storm happen. So long story short, Jonah raises his hand and he says, Guys, that's me. Your lives are in trouble because of me. So please pick me up, throw me overboard, and as soon as you do that, the storm is going to end. That's what they did. Storm ends. So now there's a boat, no storm, but Jonah is not on that boat. Jonah is in the water. What does God do next? Yes, you guys are thinking it. This is when the, wa- the, the big fish comes into play. And this is when Jonah th- thought probably... Man, I should have gone to Nineveh. I should have just gone to Nineveh and made it easier for myself. That's what happened, right? He should have done it. He should have gone there. So now in the story, Jonah is in the belly of the fish, of the big sea creature. Okay? Have you guys seen pictures of uh, Jonah in the belly of the fish? Like the Sunday school, children's Sunday school material. Have you guys seen them? I have. Okay? In children's Sunday school materials, you see this big fish, mostly round. And you see Jonah inside holding a candle. And he's smiling. And there's this like big clearance between his head and his ceiling. And he's like, you know, praying to God or holding a candle. I can assure you that that's not the case. Like he, like if you were Jonah right now and you're in the belly of the fish, what would you, and you're alive, what would you be thinking? I'd be praying. And that's what Jonah did in Jonah chapter 2. In Jonah chapter 2, it's a short chapter. Pretty much the whole of it is him praying to God, saying, Lord, you have always been there for me. Now I'm in distress. Please come and help me. And in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, we read in there that, uh, that God spoke to the fish, and, and the fish threw up Jonah on dry land. Okay? And now here's what happens next. He's on dry land. In chapter 3, this is what chapter 3 is about. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, so he got a second chance. Just like many of us. And later on, this is going to figure in our, in our story that Jonah really should have thought about his second chance. Even he got a second chance. Why won't the Ninevites get a second chance too? So he got a second chance and God told him again, a second time, his mission, his two-pronged mission. Go to Nineveh and proclaim the message that I'm going to tell you. This time around, what does Jonah do? Does he do it? Yeah. He does it. He goes. He goes to Nineveh, and there he preached, in 40 days, you all will be overthrown. You all will be destroyed. What do you think the Ninevites did with this message? They all went and repented. Even the king repented. 
So all of the all all of Nineveh repented. What do you think God did when He saw this? He was happy about that, right? So John three uh, chapter uh, chapter three verse ten. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed His mind about the calamity that He had said He would bring upon them, and He didn't do it. What an amazing God we have! Remember how we started this uh, this lesson. We said God is awesome. Why? Because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to perish. Look at this. He loves even the people of Nineveh. The brutal, violent, and terroristic people of Nineveh. He loves them. And he forgave them. Now what's going on in Jonah's mind? Totally different from what God is thinking. His heart was not like God's heart. And this is our lesson today. I want us to have God's heart for the lost. And Jonah, I know his example is the opposite, but you know, it's, it's, it's good to, to know what the opposite of that is so that it really cements it in our heads in this particular instance. His heart is not like God's heart. That the heart that, that longs for the people of the, the people of the world who are lost that longs to save people who are lost. So this is what Jonah was thinking, starting in chapter uh, 4, verses 1 and 2. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. So the heart that I want us to have is the heart of God. And when we know the heart of God, we would also know that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And as we know that, we should have the opposite effect that it did to Jonah. As we know all of this about God, our hearts should, should have this love for the lost that goes, I know my God can do all this for you. I will have this sense of urgency. I will have this joy in bringing salvation to the people around me, beginning with the people that I know. But that's not the case with Jonah. It's not the case with Jonah. And he continues, right? He says, in verses 3 to 4, And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He was depressed. And the reason why he was depressed, God said, is it right for you to be angry? One major symptom of depression is anger. It's number one. It's top. It's high up there. And it, uh, it made Jonah really depressed. Because he made it personal. What the Assyrians did to people and to his people was personal. He made a judgment call. Instead of leading with compassion, he led with judgment. And this is what God told him. Is it right for you to do that? It's not. It's not. We all understand this. It's not. But it doesn't stop there we see a clearer view of the heart of Jonah in the next passages. So after all is done, this is what Jonah does. Then Jonah went out of the city 
and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. Can you guys understand what Jonah's doing here? He's thinking, you know what? These guys, the Ninevites, they're really bad. They might have shown some works of repentance. But I know these guys are just going to go back to what they used to do before. Brutality, violence, and terror. And God will see this. And I'm going to sit over here, watch the city, and I know God is going to smite all of them. He's going to wipe them out like he wiped Sodom and Gomorrah out of the face of the earth. He was waiting to see. That was the joy that he wanted to have in his heart, to see these people perish. Wow. And so the account goes overnight. God made a vine grow over top of his head, and he used that as shelter. Do you guys remember that? And then the next morning, the vine was still there, but God put a worm in there that ate the vine. And so the vine died. And Jonah became even more angry and depressed at that. And then God said this at the end. This is the end of the book of Jonah. It it ends with a question. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also many animals. I love this verse because it really goes into the heart of what we're talking about. Our love for the lost. So in in these two verses, God contrasted two things. The bush and the great city of Nineveh. He tells Jonah and he tells us, why is the bush more important to you? It didn't even last 24 hours. But the city of Nineveh, with 120 human beings in there and animals that I created, you're not even concerned about them. And I love how God uses his, 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 really his compassion for, for, for the lost here. I know, we know that he, that they are a violent group of people. But look at what, what God said. This, this is what he said. These, yeah, these people are bad. But look, they do not know their right hand from their left. That's why I needed you to come to them and tell them what they should do. Wow. What an amazing God we have. Now that's the story of Jonah. Now what can we learn from that so we can answer this question? How do we love the lost? What can, Jonah, can this example of Jonah teach us on how to love the lost? We can do many things. But what I want us to do is, I want us to really think about, you know, loving the lost here and here. In our mind and in our heart. How do we really love the lost? How do we get to the bottom of this? The, the example, in the example of Jonah, we see that he led with judgment first. He judged them right off the bat. You are not ready. You, are, you cannot be saved. You know, sometimes... I'm going to say this, okay? Sometimes we think, oh, Jonah's a bad person. But sometimes, more than we care to admit, sometimes we're like Jonah. Sometimes I'm like Jonah. Because I lead with judgment before I lead with compassion. That's the first thing that I want to talk to you about. How can we really love the lost? 
lead with compassion. But how can we avoid the pitfall of Jonah leading with judgment, saying, you know what, I'm not going to go to those guys because they need to die. They, they're bad. They're not worth saving. How can we avoid that pitfall? Well, again, let's, let, let's, let's have that desire that God has for the lost. Okay? Let, because when we have, they have compa- he has compassion for people who are lost. If we have compassion for people, we will understand them. And that's the example that the Apostle Paul has given us in the scripture reading that we had this morning. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, we read, and this is the Apostle Paul writing here to the church in Rome. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Right off the bat, we see that the Apostle Paul, his heart and his desire is like God's heart and his desire for people who are lost. He wants his fellow Israelite people to be saved. And he has compassion for them. How do we know? Because we, he understands them. Look at the next verses. Paul writes, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So this thing right here that Paul says about the Israelites, we can say that about the Ninevites. We can say that about the people today that are lost. They are zealous for something. And many people, like if you come and talk to people who, who, who do not have Christ in their lives, they would say that what they are doing is actually going to land them in heaven. They accord it for God what they're doing. But it's not based on knowledge. It's not based on faith. It's not based on scripture. And so what happens is two things come head to head against each other. The righteousness of God and their submission to it. People do not submit to the righteousness of God because they have their own righteousness going for them. They have what they think they should do instead of understanding what God has done for them, what God tells them to do, and submitting themselves under it. That is the task that we have today as Christians. That is what we need to have. But first, we need to have compassion for them. We need to understand why they do what they do. Because we were there before. Right? And we do not want, like I said, we, we want to lead with compassion, not with, well, not with judgment. Okay? To really, really illustrate that, I'd like us to think about this. Stop sign. Okay? Pretend that we all can drive. And you guys are behind the wheel, and you're coming up to a four-way stop. Okay? You're driving, you know, you want to be a really good, you know, you want to be a really good citizen here. So you, you come and you pump your brakes because you want to stop right before the line. Okay? So as you're doing that, you don't, you don't see anything. So, oh, it's a quiet day. I'm the only one here in this intersection. But then, there's this young guy with a brand new Corvette that comes speeding up and then realizes that it's a stop sign and then just breaks a little bit in the middle of the intersection, looks left and right as he's going and then leaves. And while you're there, you stop and you see all this. What is going on in your mind right now? Has this happened to you before? Yeah. It's happened to me many times. What goes on in your mind? Okay? The, the next thing that I'm going to say is the key for us not to really be judgmental. When, when, when we see 
people doing the things that they're not supposed to be doing. And when we see people doing, uh, not doing the things that they're not supposed to do. We become angry like Jonah. And we become judgmental like Jonah because of three things that come to mind when we see these things happen. First, when we see that guy pass, we personalize it. We make it personal. Instead of thinking, that person transgressed the rules of the road, we put ourselves in the equation. We say, that person disrespected me. That person knew that I was supposed to go first, but in his mind, he went first because he, he thought that he was, he was better than me. That's the first thing that happens. Can you guys relate to that? I can relate to that. Number two, the second thing that we do in our minds is we make up a story. I know it's weird because we don't know the guy. But I know enough, we say to ourselves, I can speculate. I see that he's a young guy. He's probably 18. And he's driving a Corvette, a brand new Corvette. So what I'm thinking to myself as I drive away, his parents are irresponsible parents. That person's friends are probably like bad friends as well, and they probably hate him. You know, we, we have these things in our mind going, right? And then the third thing that we do, okay, is the worst. We attribute bad behavior or internal characteristics to what we just had, to what he just did. We, I think then, oh man, such a bad person. Very irresponsible person. Or that person is a bad citizen, a bad child, about whatever, what have you. Think about it. That is what happened, if we can really think about it in that way, to Jonah. He thought that those guys, they flay people. They put people on stakes. They mutilate people. Bad. You will not be saved. I hate you. God hates you as well. Right? Whereas, what we need to do is put all of those three things aside. And what we need to do really, this is not just for evangelizing to people or if we wanna, if we wanna go out to people and tell them about the gospel. This is for life in general. This is what we can do for our kids, for our, for our spouses, for our partners, for the, for our friends, for our family members. What we need to do first, when we see bad things happen, instead of put ourselves in it, make it personal, instead of make up stories in our minds, instead of, uh, uh, you know, uh, attribute internal characteristics for bad behavior instead of situational, right? Instead of doing that, why, why can we just say, well, maybe the reason why they did that was because they do not have God yet in their lives. Maybe perhaps they did that because they needed to know God better if they already know God. Maybe they just need to grow in their faith. And I can insert myself in the equation by saying, you know what? This is what I am here to do for them. I can help them with that. I can tell them about Jesus. I can tell them about what they are doing wrong, maybe when I'm in a relationship with them. 
Do you guys understand? We don't have to judge. But we can be compassionate. And the last thing that I want to share with you. The way that we can really love the lost. Is for us to have a sense of urgency for them. If we believe with all of our hearts today. That without Christ, people will be lost. Isn't that reason enough? For us to have a sense of urgency. I know we're busy with so many things. We're busy with school. We're busy with our family. We're busy doing many, many things. We've always looked inward. When was the last time we looked outwardly? When was the last time we thought about the heart of God that longs for people who are lost, that wants to save everybody, and He doesn't want anybody to perish. When was the last time we did that? So what I want to do now is I want to really relate it to you. Because if we don't have the sense of urgency, we will not have the key, I don't know, the key catalyst for evangelism. We will not do it. We will not go out and tell people about our faith and about our God. But when we talk about loving the lost, we think about the lost as people at Sobeys, or over there that we don't know. The lost has many things in common with us, more than we, can, we care to think about. The lost are our friends. They are our relatives and family members. They are our fiancés. They are our boyfriends and girlfriends. Man, they probably even live with us in the same house. Without Jesus, they are lost. Now, I want you to, I want to see a show of hands. Raise your hands. I'm raising my hand because this is true for me. If you have loved ones who are not Christians today. If you have loved ones who have been Christians but who have left the faith today. Man. That's our sense of urgency right there. We need to do it. We need, we, need to, we need to love the lost. We need to care enough for them to tell them. To tell them that they, that they can be saved. This is a quote from Nabil Qureshi. He's the author of Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He was an American uh, a Christian apologist. Uh, he passed away of cancer uh, recently. But in this quote, he talks about uh, his experience with Christians while he was still a Muslim, okay? It really resonated with me, and I think it would resonate with you too. He says, the Christians who were around me wouldn't share the gospel with me, and I never realized why. I concluded, either they didn't believe the gospel, uh, the gospel was true, that God really loved people, and God really want people to be saved and not perish, or if they did believe it, number two, they didn't care if I went to hell. See, I have people in my circle that are not Christians yet. And today, I want to tell them about the gospel. Today, I want to tell them that I care. Today, I want to give them the opportunity 
for them to know and for them to make a choice. Because I owe that to them. Because at the end, I don't want them to say, Jay didn't care about me. I, I want them to care. Okay? So, um, the song, uh, the, the, the closing song is called, None of Self and All of Thee. When we're thinking about loving the lost, you know, it's like running a marathon. We have to work up to that. We have to work up to that. It doesn't happen overnight. I love this song because it says, if you're going to listen to the words, it's a progression. Okay? The singer, the writer says, well, I started first, all of self and none of thee. And then I came as I grew, some of self and some of thee. And then at the end, he realizes, you know what? None of self and all of thee. And that's the time when we really get to think about being compassionate to the people that are lost and having that sense of urgency for people who are lost. Thank you all for listening. Let's stand and sing. that the time could ever be